This is Wyoming Catholic College's weekly podcast, The Afterdinner Scholar, and I'm your host, Dr. Jim Tonkowicz. Our seniors, who graduated on May 23rd, all took exactly the same courses and graduated with a Bachelor of Arts in Liberal Arts. What does that mean, and why does it make a difference? Our graduation speaker this year was Dr. R.R. Reno. Dr. Reno, the editor of the journal First Things, is a keen and well-read observer of our modern culture and contemporary politics. Here's what he had to say to the graduates, parents, and college community about the world, the future, and the liberal arts. So I'd like to thank, again, uh, Professor President Arbery for inviting me here to speak to you on this wonderful occasion. I have a great admiration for what you have accomplished here in Lander, Wyoming with Wyoming Catholic College. Because to my mind, this small college is a powerful witness to the possibilities of spiritual and intellectual excellence in our, in our very troubled times. And I think um, Andrew Russell's senior speech gives ample evidence of, of that powerful witness. In this achievement, it seems to me, you students, teachers, and parents are doing the church and our society a great service. So I compliment you on that great service. And being with you here today also brings the pleasures of nostalgia. As Glenn Arbery pointed out, uh, I've been a longtime passion for mountain climbing and rock climbing and so forth. And in my younger years, when I was chasing my mountaineering dreams, I spent a number of nights in the Lander City Park, um, which for those who are on a low budget, I can tell you is free. <laughs> and I recall hitchhiking through town in 1980 and stopping uh, at the Knowles shop and buying pitons for 50 cents a piece on some sale that they had. And I've, hit, I've hiked and backpacked with my family in these lovely mountains on a number of occasions. So I do enjoy being here just for this wonderful pleasure of memory. But I want to use this opportunity to spell out the service to you graduating seniors, the service that your education is calling you to give to our society, our troubled society. At the very outset of his metaphysics, Aristotle says, all men by nature desire to know. We take delight in seeing things as they are, and we take delight in gaining accurate knowledge. Small children take pleasure in pointing out things and saying, for example, dog, dog. They want to share their joy of knowing. And these wonderful moments testify to the truth of Aristotle's dictum. The highest ambition of any educational institution devoted to liberal education should be to encourage the joy of knowing for its own sake. This is important because we live in a joyless time. The public square rings with warnings about climate catastrophe. A recent poll found that nearly half of respondents under 21 years of age affirm the statement that, quote, humanity is doomed. We're told that our country is founded on slavery and that everything is tainted with white privilege. 
And of course, we shut down our society two years ago, panicked by the prospect of death. It's not surprising, therefore, that nearly 20% of college students are on antidepressants. Against what I call doomerism, the sense that we're doomed, doomerism, I commission you graduating seniors to become beacons of joy. Continue to read, continue to reflect, so that you can taste again and again the pleasures of knowing. Take something of your heart that was uplifted by the mountain sunrise and share it with your fellow citizens. And of course, most important of all, live with the knowledge uh, and the joy that we are children of God. Now there's a further aspect to liberal education that I think is equally important right now. I call it the anti-technocratic element. In his reflection on the idea of a university, St. John Henry Newman insists that our desire to know is, he uses the term philosophical. And by this term, he means that we seek an ever more comprehensive knowledge. Newman calls this aim of, of seeking enlargement, and he defines liberal education as enlargement of mind. In other places, he uses the term speculation, which is root, rooted in the Latin word that suggests gazing upon something to take it in, something from above to take it in. Now, pondering Newman's emphasis on speculation and enlargement of mind has led me to a deeper understanding of the benefits of a liberal education, benefits that our society very much needs. Let me explain. As you know, after a 21-day backpacking trip, dear students, mountain terrain is rugged. Overshadowed by tall peaks, it's not always easy to picture where you are in a complex of valleys and peaks. We must depend on maps and perhaps on a GPS to orient ourselves. That's all very good and well. But imagine leaving those big heavy packs behind at camp and climbing to the top of a mountain, say Fremont Peaks, peak above the Titcomb Lakes. So from above, we see the ridgelines and the lakes and the streams. I'm trying to remember from the top of Mount Fremont Peak. Uh, yes, Mount Woodrow Wilson to the north and Seneca Lake to the west. The overview is a moment of enlargement. When we descend and return to the trails, the GPS is no longer necessary and our maps serve to recall to us this mountaintop vision of the whole. Now by Newman's reckoning, and I think he's correct in this, the liberal education offers a similar and far more consequential overview, a far more important intim intimation of the whole. Consider the last two years of, uh, in our society. Public health officials herded us into unprecedented lockdowns, telling us to follow the science. And I don't want to relitigate those decisions. My point is only that a liberally educated person from this college has a larger view of public authority. 
He has read Plato's Republic, which allows him to recognize that civil authorities might just might be tempted to tell what they imagine to be noble lies. He has meditated on the compound of sin and death in St. Paul's letters that are often used to describe the worldly powers that hold us in their thrall. And he has read Thomas Hobbes, and he has reflected on the relation between tyranny and fear of death. Now what you have read at this school and discussed will not in themselves determine whether you or any other Wyoming Catholic College graduate affirms, ignores, or denies this or that public policy going forward. But I submit that an enlarged view gives intellectual depth to our determinations, engagements, and our discussions. Glimpses from the mountaintops of our theological, philosophical, and literary traditions provide us with the wisdom that is necessary for the virtue of prudence. And virtue of prudence is something we very much need in our society today. Now a technocratic education, by contrast, imagines that we can govern our lives by following the science. It's a vision of knowledge without enlargement and expertise without wisdom, which means in practice, practical reason which is not governed by prudence. In my estimation, our society is in danger of being shipwrecked by experts who have gone to famous universities, but whose education has not brought them to any mountaintops. We are increasingly governed by people who are, as a friend said to me once, so, so smart, but so, so stupid. As you marry and raise children, join local communities, and participate in public life more broadly, please, I, t I urge you, dear graduates of Wyoming Catholic College, please shun the false authority of expertise and draw upon your liberal education. Now, the enlargement of mind that Newman identifies as the object of liberal education also nurtures self-command. If we have a sense of the whole, our thoughts are more our own and less mere echoes of what's being said in newspaper columns and on CNN or on Fox News. As you go into the world, after these years at Wyoming Catholic College, your judgments and assessments will be in accord with your sense of the larger meaning and the larger scope of events. And this kind of intellectual self-possession is an essential element of a free life as opposed to one lived in servitude to propaganda, collective panic, peer pressure, and other worldly powers that seek to use and manipulate us. It is perfected in faith, this freedom. As St. Paul teaches, for freedom Christ has set us free. The more strongly we are rooted in obedience to God, the less vulnerable we will be, to, we, the less vulnerable we will become to the blandishments and threats of the worldly powers that pretend to rule our lives. So again, this morning, I assign you graduates a task. Your witness of freedom is precious in today's environment. 
Many of our institutions are overtaken by politically correct censure and intimidation. Social media amplifies peer pressure. Political polarization re uh, rewards exaggeration and name calling. Our fellow citizens need our witness of freedom, the freedom that comes from a liberal education and a deep faith, a freedom based on thinking and reflecting rather than reacting and repeating. That the freedom that comes from having glimpsed the truth and from having surrendered to it. To my mind, the most profound threat by, posed by the woke revolution of the last couple of years is not to be found in its false ideas of justice. Although to be sure, error on the march is always a dangerous thing. Nor is the greatest peril to be found in the ready turn to coercion and intimidation. Rather, political correctness, critical race theory, and other forms of academic radicalism pervert the life of the mind. To me, that's the deepest cultural threat. Woke revolutionaries insist that every discipline, every species of knowledge, must serve the causes of diversity, equity, and inclusion. To say silence is violence is to utter a totalitarian slogan. It prohibits contemplation and reflection. Your education in the great books has been a wonderful way to gain a liberal education. Plato's dialogues and St. Augustine's confessions are texts with strong personalities, as it were. They're not easily manhandled. And it's this force of character I would submit, and not the charge of being written by, by dead white males that explains why academic radicals are always eager to get rid of the great books and to put in their place mediocre and forgettable books. Little books fit that, are, that fill preordained slots <clears throat> is what those who imagine that the highest aim of education is catechetical, that's what they do, rather than the use of great books, which is to enlarge and deepen the minds of students. Another threat to liberal education is apathy and indifference. As I've written elsewhere and perhaps too often, what goes by the name of critical thinking tends to deaden the souls of students. It is an approach that emphasizes the perils of being deceived and suborned and duped. This approach supposedly unmasks truth and beauty, showing them to be instruments of power and domination. What seems like the high achievements of culture by this way of thinking are reduced to selfish genes, profit motive, utility maximization, the desire to dominate, or some other low instinctual drive. Now in any single instance, these modes of analysis have their place and can be fitting. The Old Testament prophets, after all, often unmasked the false pretenses of idols. And Socrates questions the common opinions circulating in Athens. But these critical moments are meant to free us from error so that we can turn toward truth. 
By contrast, the downward thrust of today's so-called critical thinking is relentless and unending. Its effect is to demoralize, both in the literal sense of suggesting that there is no moral truth, and in the psychological sense of encouraging students the suspicion that the life of the mind le really leads nowhere. The suspicion that Newman's ideal of knowledge as enlargement is an illusion. In which case, we might as well get on with life and get out of it whatever pleasures we can. I fear that the despairing sigh of defeat in this regard is more widespread in young people today than woke radicalism. It underlies their doomerism. Indeed, it may be the case that radicalism appeals because it offers a kind of ersatz hope. I can imagine myself as a 20-year-old at Harvard saying to myself that if I can't know any metaphysical, moral, or religious truths, at least I can fight for racial justice or some other cause. After all, man is not made for nihilism. It is for this reason that we carve idols to worship. Better to embrace error rather than to embrace nothing at all. Now here again, I submit to you graduates, your education equips you to renew our society. Virgil's Aeneid has a powerful draw and it, it has a powerful draw that can bring readers out of their stance of critical distance, very telling word, critical distance, and put them into a state of rapturous devotion. The same holds for Shakespeare's plays. I can report, as I talked last night with President Arbery, I can report that for many years I taught Edmund Spencer's Fairy Queen to undergraduate students they were at first intimidated and put off, but to their surprise, they came to love this great allegorical poem, the poem about the age-old quest to overcome vice and acquire virtue. They came to love the Fairy Queen, and it's with love that I wish to end this address. St. John, John Paul II never tired of reminding us that we attain freedom by giving ourselves away in love, to God first and foremost, and to others in marriage, friendship, and service. Newman, ins Newman insisted that the highest form of knowledge is for its own sake. And to attain this knowledge, we must look into the eyes, as it were, of what we study, rather than looking over its shoulder to see its usefulness or its popularity whereas as is the case so often these days, its role in one or another injustice of some sort or another. Intellectual freedom is akin to spiritual freedom. It flourishes when we renounce ourselves and say to the great books, teach me. The same holds for the book of nature and of course, the book of books, Holy Scripture. A liberal education is first and foremost an invitation to love truth for its own sake. It begins in trust, trust in teachers, trust in books, books that are worth reading, and it ends in the yes of assent. 
So in conclusion, I want to emphasize again the importance of what you have received, dear students, at Wyoming Catholic College. We live in a loveless age. When it is not urging self-protection, stay safe. Our society is aflame with cruel denunciations, tearing down statues, and canceling whole swaths of our cultural inheritance. You, you graduates are leaving this place with a love of learning and devotion to truth. These words, love and devotion, need to be emphasized in everything that we say and do. These dispositions, so rare in our time, are truly revolutionary. And we need, now more than ever, a revolution of love's devotion. Thank you. Regarding Wyoming Catholic College and other great book schools, Baylor University philosopher Thomas Ward wrote recently in the public interest, quote, they happen to share a commitment not only to affordability and intellectual independence from the federal government, but also to texts and ideas that have endured. This shared pedagogical focus on great books is no accident. A need to get back to the basics of education forces educators to take stock of what really ought to be taught rather than what is trending in the latest issues of academic journals. It is the real-world implementation of the old icebreaker. What books would you have on a desert island? These schools answer, only the best and most important. Close quote. If you're a donor to Wyoming Catholic College, thank you for your supporting this vital educational project. If you're not a donor yet, may I ask you to consider donating to the college today? There's a donor page on our website, wyomingcatholic.edu slash support. That's wyomingcatholic.edu slash support. Thank you in advance for your generosity. For Wyoming Catholic College, this is Dr. Jim Tonkowicz.